You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about the United Nations and Usher. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are the hosts of Different Things Can Be Sad, your monthly pop culture and politics podcast, because we believe that everything on the spectrum deserves our attention. Mm -hmm. Um, How has your month been, Micah? Um, It's been pretty good, just working, procrastinating. Um, I love it. Being tired about political things. Like what? Just Alabama. Yeah, that is. Um, Yeah. I wanted to talk about it a little bit um, and saying that we're not talking about it this week in the politics section because every once in a while, politics is kind of exhausting. And yeah, I think this is one of those occasions. Yeah. Mm, um, Um, I will gather the strength to talk about it later, but currently just don't have the effort. But yeah, that has marked a lot of my month. um, Mm. So I think we'll, we'll pop some links to that. Um, but I, I was hoping that I would be here to report that I had seen the strokes, but we are recording a little bit earlier than we have normally been recently. So I have not yet seen the strokes. Um, it's happening though. It will be, it will be. So next time I will have seen the strokes. The squealing will happen in the June episode. Um, but I did see the uh, feminist don't wear pink conversation with Saoirse Ronan that I talked about in the mm-hmm. last episode. That was great. Didn't get a chance to mention the podcast to her, unfortunately. But uh, so maybe sad. next. Yes. Um, I did message Micah, though, because uh, there was a bit at the beginning where the host, Scarlett Curtis, was like, um, we've got a very special surprise guest beforehand. <laughs> and in probably the worst feminist thoughts ever, especially at an event that was about women celebrating women and by women, mm-hmm. I was convinced it was going to be Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> now, in my defense, Micah also was very quick to Yeah, I, I also was convinced. Yeah. Um, no. But still a great night. Um, also politically exhausted with the Australian election. Yeah. Um, that was one that was, uh, I think climate change was really at the focus of that because I had a lot of friends message me who were very disappointed with the results and the reason they were disappointed was because of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting to see so many people, obviously like not enough, but so many people I personally know who really did care about climate change. Um, and in a good news story that relates to that, um, I just wanted to give a little shout out to a, a young woman named Ruth who goes to my sister's school and single-handedly organized for the school to get recycling bins because That's they awesome. didn't currently have them. Yeah. So she collected 500 signatures by herself in two days mm-hmm. and got these bins implemented and I just thought isn't that the coolest thing ever like mm-hmm. be more like Ruth guys oh um for those of you who didn't know um it was the conservatives who won the um the, the conservative oh, yes. party sorry yeah I should yeah, I should run that <laughs> an election to the right-wing party um but yeah the first episode of this year was an election roundup um some of those elections have happened uh Israel went back to Netanyahu mm-hmm. who remained um, which was a very surprising result. And the Indian election just finished. It took six weeks to do the Indian election because it's such a big yes. country. And um, I think it was the same government that stayed in power. So 
Right. Yeah. Um, if you do want to know more about the Australian one, we did do our episode um, about the Julius Caesar situation yes. there um, and the Liberal Party's uh, frequent habit of Julius Caesaring the leader. Mm-hmm. And somehow they still managed to retain leadership this time, uh, which is very, very confusing to me. But as I said, it's a little bit exhausting. So I think we should move on to some <laughs> nicer, nicer bits to get us started. Yeah. Micah, what have you been reading this month? Ooh, um, so if anyone listens to this podcast, they know that I read one author and then I continue to read the same author. She does. She I does. Have, um, what uh, are your phases? Yeah, I just, I enjoy doing that. Um, and so I, last week, month, I talked about um, The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. And then this month I read uh, The Hundred Year House um, by Rebecca Mackay. It also takes place in the Chicago area. Um, so it ta- it's about this old mansion and the people who live in it just outside of Chicago. And what's really cool is it's a story told um, through different time periods, but it's told backwards. So it starts um, in 1999, and then that's the first third of the book, and then you go to 1925, and then you go to 1900. Um, right. Which is super interesting. Um and what was at first frustrating, but at the end I really enjoyed it, was usually with these time, multiple time pieces, um, you learn things about the past and the people in the present learn about them. And it's like this big revelation and it's like an important part of the plot. In this, because it's being told backwards, you learn things about the past and then you realize the people in the present will never know these things. Like they are just oh, yeah. secrets that will never be revealed because mm. like they were lost in the passage of time. And at first I was like frustrated. I was like, how are we supposed to get this payoff? And then I kind of thought about it more. And I think it really speaks to how we interact with the past and how the past is important. Um, Mm. And also like how our own existence is important in relation to the future. Like it isn't just that like, because the future knows about us, will know about us that we're important like the lives we live now will yes. have direct consequences even if yes. they don't have the details um which i it's almost a bit more really realistic nice. that way yeah. isn't it but like cause sometimes we don't find out about the past or when we are the past we don't get the payoff of the future finding out about us mm-hmm. because we're not around for that i think that's a really interesting structure and i kind of like the idea that she did it like that rather than um interspersing them because mm-hmm. sometimes i find that a little bit frustrating when Especially if there's, like, one kind of, like, thread I don't like as much as the other ones. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, it's this person's chapter again. <laughs> um, the great Believers is interspersed, and this is just, like, sectioned. Yeah, interesting. That sounds like a really cool book. I'll have to read some Rebecca Mackay. Yeah. Yeah, I um, my reading was a bit dismal this month, unfortunately. Things were a little hectic, but I did read two really fantastic articles, um, quite lengthy reads, that I would like to share because I – think they are just fantastic the first one is called faith friendship and tragedy at santa fe high um and it is about it follows a story of uh sabika sheikh who was a muslim exchange student from pakistan who uh went on exchange to a school in santa fe texas last year struck up an unlikely friendship with a christian girl and the two became best best friends until the day a fellow student opened fire and I think we all remember that mm-hmm. day um I remember when I, where I was when I heard about that it was a really horrific tragedy and the story was 
absolutely heartbreaking, but also really inspiring because people, even in the worst times, can still be so, so good. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop thinking about this article and I wanted to tell everyone about it. So that's one I would definitely recommend. It's in the Texas Monthly and I'll pop the link below. And then the second one is called A Dangerous Delay and it was in the Washington Post. And it is... yeah. Yeah, about how... My mom read this and we talked about it. Yeah, it's long, but Mm -hmm. so worth it. It's about how the University of Maryland waited 18 days to alert the community about the outbreak of adenovirus. I think I'm saying that right. Adenovirus, I think. Adenovirus. I've only ever read it, so Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Um, And it sort of centered around the case of an 18-year-old freshman named Olivia who actually died after contracting the virus. And... The reporting is really phenomenal in this story. It was extremely thorough and I think quite sensitive to Olivia. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it really was angling to act as an agent of change. It will hopefully inspire some further action on the University of Maryland's behalf. Um, yeah, would definitely recommend that. As I said, we'll leave the links to both of those in the show notes. Have you been listening to anything or watching is how we normally do this, mm-hmm. isn't it? watching listening what have you been watching um i've finally been watching tv again which has been wonderful um mm-hmm. and i finally started watching and finished watching sex education on netflix oh my sister like this it it is so good so it's about mm-hmm. this british boy whose mom is played by jillian anderson is a sex therapist and is incredibly invasive in his life um but he and this like cool outcast girl at school it looks like margot robbie who looks like Margot Robbie. Yeah, um, weird. Yeah. They start a sex and relationship therapy service for their fellow students using the knowledge he's gained from living with his mother. Um, right. And it's, like, huge amount of sex in it, obviously. Um, but it's dealt with in this really um, real way that mm-hmm. treats these characters, these teenagers, as, like, real people whose relationships matter and who the things that they do matter. Because I yeah. sometimes feel like stories and movies about high school students, they're kind of dismissed and their feelings and experiences are not, like, seen as real. Yeah, um, it's like, it's obviously adults have made the movie and they're looking yeah. at it through an adult's gaze. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, those things are trivialized. Yeah. The best part about this show, though, is the setting. So it's... Yeah, the, this is the weird, right? The place is weird, mm-hmm. but I think it works so well. So it's in some ways set in the 80s in that, like, everyone wears 80s-themed clothes. Um, every, their 80s music is everywhere. Right. They all have smartphones, and they reference that it's, like, in the 20... Like, I think someone says it's no longer 2017. Um, and there's so like, like when it, when the movie came, when not the movie, when the series came out on Netflix, we're assuming that that's where the show was taking place. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everyone thought it was in the eighties when like you watch trailers, but there's like out gay characters and everyone talks about, like they talk about Beyonce. Um, the other thing that's funny mm-hmm. is that it's set in Britain and like a British school, but it's definitely an American high school. Like the way that, like that, the way that classes are set up, the way that like everyone. They wear their own clothes. They wear yeah. their own clothes. There's like jocks. Yeah. Um, but I think I just had an idea that, you know how we're, we cycle through fashion continuously mm-hmm. and like currently we're cycling through the nineties, but it could very well be that the next cycle is the eighties. And so this could just be a movie set like 10 years. Well, from yeah, I don't know. I almost, I, I feel like this is, 
I feel like maybe they were like, you know, jumping on the Stranger Things bandwagon yeah, a, little a little bit. Yeah, but also it sounds very like uh, a tribute to John Hughes. You know how John yeah. Hughes just did like the 80s teen high school movies so, so yeah. well. It sounds like someone was like, can we do The Breakfast Club? But just shake it up a little bit. But with smartphones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they, again, obviously it's made by adults. So it's mm-hmm. probably people who did grow up in the 80s and wanted yeah. to maybe incorporate their own teenage experience mm-hmm. with this one. So that's kind of like cool. it because it has the kind of like the freeing nature of like a John's Hughes movie. But yeah. um no sexual assault like her and almost all John Hughes movies. Racism. Yeah. And, um not racism of characters a little bit, but not of like the movie being racist. And like it's very sex positive in a way that an 80s yeah. movies couldn't be because the world wasn't that sex positive at the time. Cough, 16 candles, cough. That is not good. Like, no. I, no um, 16 candles. 16 candles was one of those movies where I realized I was a feminist and I couldn't go back because I watched it. Yes. When I was like I think I 12. It when I was like 15 and I was like, oh, no, this isn't yeah. okay. Well, no, I watched yeah. it when I was 12 and I was like, this is whatever, like, great movie. It's a John Hughes movie. And then I watched it again when I was 15 and had like learned a little bit about feminism. Yeah. I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I think I had like a bare scraping of knowledge then and I was like, this isn't cool. And yeah. I loved in uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before when Lara Jean and Peter yeah. watch 16 Candles and he's like, um, this is kind of racist <laughs> like and wrong. Best. And she's like, yeah, but Jake Ryan's cute. I'm like, well, I mean, right, Lara Jean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is just yeah. another reason why Peter Kavinsky is the best. <sighs> Can we get through an episode without some Kavinsky no. standing? I'm not sure. Um, well, I haven't been watching To All the Boys again this month. <laughs> I have been getting a little bit into YouTube, which Ooh. I think you'll be happy with. Alexa Chung, who is the girl crush of my entire life, um, now has a YouTube channel. So that's exciting. She Fair. is also getting a Netflix series with 10 friends of Queer Eye. So Very I'm excited cool. about that. But uh, the main thing that I have seen this month is Rocket Man. I went to see it in the cinema last night, the first night it came out. I actually don't think it's out in the US or Canada or Australia yet. So I don't think so. I think Aladdin comes out this week and that's it. Oh, well, I feel yeah. very ahead of the curve. I would definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. It look, okay, this is probably like blasphemous, but like I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody. But I from what I can fine. Yeah, from what I can understand, it's not the same thing like bohemian rhapsody from what i've heard is like a movie about music that has music in it whereas this rocket man is a mm-hmm. musical it mm-hmm. is like very surrealist and fantastical and it's like it's pretty dark and i also think it's interesting to make a biopic about someone who's still very much alive mm-hmm. and was so involved in the process um so it'll be interesting to see how I don't know, maybe some of the people who are portrayed in it might respond to this in the coming weeks and months, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I, I would definitely recommend it. It was, it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. while still having um, some really deep and important messages in it. So been watching Rocket Man, obviously been listening to some Elton John as well, um, but I do have some music updates from the year 2004. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
yeah, this this month, May, it is May. I feel like mm-hmm. May has gone on a really long time. The National have a new album out. You're a bit of a National fan, yeah. aren't you? Like a, yeah, new album. Exciting. Right? Yeah, get on that. It's got some beautiful album artwork. It's really stunning. Um, Interpol have a new EP out, which is great. I think my favorite song is still the title track, which came out in January. Mm-hmm. And then the Strokes have a new song, which is so exciting because they haven't, you know, released anything since their last um, EP, which was a, a year, a year or two ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, they performed this one at a concert they did in LA a couple weeks ago. So they've um, they've done a concert in LA, a concert in Toronto, and then they'll be playing in London when I go see them this weekend. And we believe that this song is called The Adults Are Talking and it is exactly what you want from a stroke song. It feels very quintessential, which is exciting because they can be quite like experimental and sometimes uh, they'll release a song that doesn't feel very traditional strokesy, but yeah. this feels like a, a little bit of every album. And I think that's pretty exciting. It's sort of like what we talked about with um, Vampire Again. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really nice when someone like an artist just delivers on exactly the reason you came to them in the first place. So would definitely recommend that. What have you been listening to? Did the vampire weekend album come out at the beginning of May? I think so. Yes. Yeah. We After haven't we recorded them. I think it Any- came out on either the second or the fifth. Yes, we we haven't talked about it. Um, let's just say we both love it, and yes, I think that's. I think we have the similar favorite songs, right? Um, I think so. Yeah, it's a long ass album. It is very long, but it's great. Yeah, and the songs are quite short, so yes. it doesn't it doesn't feel super long. Mm-hmm. But yes, besides New Vampire Weekend. Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually went to a couple concerts this month and I went to people I hadn't, nice. I didn't really know that well, um, just cause I have decided to spend the summer going to concerts, uh, which will be fun. And so I went to Beach House in Seattle. They're very like chill, poppy music. Um, they've been around for like 10 years. Um, and it was so chill that everyone just like sat there and like absorbed the music instead of like, nice. yeah, it was great. Um, really great, like light show with it. Um, lots of fun. Also just love road tripping to go and see a concert. It's great. Um, yeah. It makes it a little special, right? Yeah. Um, and then last week I went and saw Black Bear uh, in Vancouver. Uh, he's a hip hop R&B artist. Um, this was like in a, pretty decently large venue this was clearly like his first time in a venue this big and this was the first show of the tour and you could tell he was nervous but like so excited and as a person who like hadn't really listened to that much of his music it was like such a great experience um at the beginning he did like normal versions of his songs and then halfway through he like he walks off stage and he's like i'll see you in a bit and they pull they bring on this coffin onto stage and you're like is he in the coffin no it's a piano Oh my god. Um, yeah. So the album is called Dead to Me, hence Coffin. Anyways, and so then he does, he's like a hip hop R&B artist, but then he does stripped down acoustic versions of his R&B songs. Oh, that's And cool. it was like amazing. So he does like piano and acoustic guitar, and he was clearly like so nervous, but so excited, and it was adorable. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
would recommend. I think it's really interesting. There's all, I think, in my opinion, there's sort of like two ways you can kind of go to a concert. Either it's a band that you absolutely love mm-hmm. and it becomes the best concert ever because you love the band so much. Like they could come out and like do nothing and, and you'll be like, yes. yes. Or you just press you, play on the album and you could just watch. Yeah, it. literally. Yeah. And you're like, amazing, amazing. Um, or you could go see someone and not really know a lot about them and just be surprised by how fantastic yeah. they are and then become such a huge fan. Um, and I think both are really good. It's also good in, if in the latter case, you can get the chance to see them again sometime soon and you yeah. know all the words then because I think mm-hmm. you always think that when you're at the concert, you're like, oh, I wish I knew this a little bit more, but yeah, it's that's very the one thing. I do yeah. enjoy knowing all the words and being able to sing to every song. Yes, yeah. but it is nice to have that kind of introduction. Like it's it's a little bit special, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, I first got into them when I went to see them. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the politics section of the podcast. Uh, we are joined by Audrey the dog. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we took a little interval between recording the opening section and the main segments and since then Audrey has joined us so we're hoping she won't be barking and that she will learn a lot about politics Mm -hmm. is my my main goal for this yes um so this month uh we always record at the end of the month so I thought a timely thing to talk about would be next month which is pride month um so um I thought we would talk um and look past the rainbows and the glitter and talk about the history and the politics of pride. Um, often during Pride Month, you hear the phrase, pride is a protest. And today we're going to talk a little bit about why it is a protest and its history. Okay. So pride, before we talk about the first pride, we have to talk about the Stonewall riot. Um, some people are calling it a rebellion now, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, the Stonewall riot took place on June 28th. 1969 um at the stonewall inn um a bit so is that why june is like the pride month because this occurred in june okay so um they held the first pride as um a one year after the stonewall riot in commemoration oh wow yeah um so interesting story um the history of uh gay liberation and gay rights is really complicated and interesting but one thing is that um there was a period there where the police were not really um going after gay people in a way that they were in the period of the stonewall riots um and one reason for this was that it was really hard to get a gay bar started in new york city which is where stonewall is if you didn't know um and so the gay community partnered with the mob and the mob yeah ran all the gay bars and the gay this sounds like an amazing sitcom. Like, is this not already a Netflix original? Because that is such a good I know. idea. Um, and so the gay community, um, like, went to these gay bars run by the mob. And um, it was a really great symbiotic relationship. Um, it was illegal to give liquor licenses to gay bars. So all gay bars were illegal in New York. Um, but then eventually, um, kind of in like at the same time that like sodomy was decriminalized. So when it became legal to be gay in many countries, not just 
in the states or like the loosening of certain laws the police started cracking down more on the laws that still existed oh. um, and so in 19 19- why would that be sorry um, like there was this kind of shift in public perception um at first it was kind of something that it was like fine and tolerated um, okay and like people were still awful and homophobic but the state wasn't involved and then there was this shift where the state really started to get involved in cracking down um and it's kind of like we were talking about um abortion at the top of this episode um roe v wade was the reason why we have the pro-life movement it didn't exist until after the decision to legalize abortion in the states Right. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes the liberalization of laws leads to a intense opposition to that liberalization. That makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have had to had um, like opposed that before. Yeah. I mean, like similarly, don't they said that people in like Northern Ireland are more like patriotic than people in like England, yeah. let's say, because they have what they perceive to be like a, th- a threat against yeah. it. And, like, yes. a real reminder that they want to be British. Yes. Yeah. So um, if there's something to kind of fight against, then it becomes more intensified. Mm-hmm. So this right. was kind of, like, it's a very complicated history, and this is a slight simplification, but that's kind of what was happening. Um, yes. And so in June 1969, the police raid the Stonewall Inn because they were operating without a liquor license. And as they were escorting the bar patrons out of the bar, things became violent because the police were being quite violent with the bar patrons. And um, a ruckus kind of ensued. And then Martha P. Johnson um, threw the first, some say it was a brick, some say it was a rock. She was the first person to retaliate. Um, Martha right. Pete Johnson is a black trans woman, and I mention her by name oh. because the history of gay liberation and the LGBTQ movement has been notoriously cis, white, and male. It has always been mm. about white men, gay white men, but white men, um, and for a long time, no one knew who Martha P. Johnson was, um, and it turns out she was this very important figure in this movement and was one of the people who decided or uh, who got together to start the gay pride parade in the next year. So she was incredible. Wow. People didn't really know who she was. Um, there was a movie called Stonewall that came out like a couple years ago and it was all white dudes. She is not in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Young Pierce Brosnan from Mamma Mia 2, mm-hmm. Here We Go Again is in it, right? Yes. And like, yeah. Um, but in the, in recent years, she's really gotten like, the credit she deserves so there's a i think there's a netflix movie um the new york times last year the whole year they did obituaries for women who they hadn't written obituaries for when they died oh wow that's a fantastic idea yeah um you can see the whole archive on the website but they did one for her because she greatly deserves it also she died and like no one knows how she died so like it was her body was found no one's sure if it was suicide or foul play Wow, when was that? That was in the in 1992. Right, okay. Yeah, so very interesting woman, but I thought we should mention her when we talk about the Stonewall riots. And the rioting, uh, some people say it lasted a week, some people say it lasted three days. I'm sure if I did more digging, I could find the official record for you, but it lasted quite a while. Um, and so, Brad Hatton, this was like this big 
breakthrough movement in or moment in uh, the gay liberation movement and started a huge amount of political um, agitation across the states. Um, and so then a year later, um, the first gay pride was organized. Um, and it was took place on the last Saturday of June. And um, it was called the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. And it wasn't a parade, yeah. it, was, it was a protest. So they started in Greenwich Village and they walked all the way to Central Park. And then they had a gay inn, which is like a civil rights sit-in, but they yeah. like occupy space and like are openly gay while doing it. And just right. being out and speaking and saying that they were gay, um, is a political act because no one was saying it at the time. Like it was very taboo. And I don't mean to like interject with yeah. a somewhat trivial side note, but the way you said out there was super Canadian. Oh, nice. I'll, I'll listen back <laughs> to that. And out. Literally. Yes. I'll About, do it again. Yeah. There you go. I, I have it. an here. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was an incredibly political moment, um, and there were other pride parades. Some say that the, so this was a march in New York. Some say that the first pride parade was in LA because they actually got right. the city to approve it the same year. Okay. So the yeah. UCLA actually sued the um, the ACLU, not the UCLA, the ACLU. <laughs> University of California. <laughs> it's the wrong acronym. The ACLU sued the city of Los Angeles um, and got them an actual official permit for parade. There was also marches held in Chicago and San Francisco. Cool. So this is kind of the origins of pride. Very, very much a protest. Um, so then for the next three decades, we've had prides in the States. Um, and they've always been political. It's just that the politics of them have changed. So this is something that really fascinates me is how political movements um, choose their agendas and how those agendas change over time. Um, so I've mentioned the term gay liberation quite a bit. Um, and gay liberation started in the very late 1960s um, all the way until the AIDS crisis. And it's like a radical movement as in radical as in like wanting to change society fundamentally. So it comes out of the left of the 1960s. Um, and it was about, like, first and foremost, the ending of discrimination from the police. Um, so things like the Stonewall Riot, but it was also about, like, the end of heterosexual marriage and the because it was oppressive to women and to men um, and the end of monogamy. And you can find all these great manifestos written by right. uh, gay liberationists um and importantly they did not want marriage equality they wanted the end of marriage there was no like demand to have the right to marry their partners because they that they thought that was an oppressive institution interesting um, yeah. so they just didn't want to have like if you know someone was in hospital that they, you know, it wasn't automatically that a, a wife or a husband was yeah. considered an extra kin or... Well, so that wasn't an issue. So you're you're thinking forward to the AIDS crisis, which changes everything. Right, um, okay. At the time, it was to be in a marriage was something that was dictated by the state, especially in America. And it was something that made 
women attached to men in a way that was harmful to them. So you have to remember that this is happening in sync with women's liberation and with the feminist okay. movement. And many people in gay liberation were also in the feminist movement. And they were seen how marriage was incredibly harmful to women. Um, and they didn't want to join something that was inherently harmful in their eyes. And it hadn't, like... I don't think it hadn't occurred to them that it could be beneficial. It was that they were they wanted something more than that. They didn't want to change. Isn't that interesting how things yeah. have, like just so, like oh, so yeah. changed in the past like forty or fifty years? Like I wouldn't like I it, it just it wouldn't yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't really occur to me to call like marriage oppressive. A mm-hmm. marriage could be oppressive, but like I don't think the institution of it is mm-hmm. necessarily so nowadays. And it's strange to think that that was completely considered the other way. Yeah. Not too long um, ago. A side note um, is that there were some gay people who were getting married. They were kind yeah. of shunned by the like hardcore activists, but they were. Um, a professor at my university is doing research on this right now, and it's super cool because it's. Um, what's interesting is that the pr- predominant group that was getting married in like not real state ceremonies because it wasn't legal, but in like unofficial ceremonies were um, black lesbians. Um, interesting they had um a dynamic that made it so that getting married was something that was like quite desirable um yeah yeah so there were some people getting married it just wasn't like the thing to do right so then so you have 10 years of pride parades or like pride marches that are just protests against discrimination um and also uh, the protest of just being out as a gay man and mostly men but they're all also like lesbians and um, trans individuals and everyone was there but the history is very white and male Um, Mm. and so then uh, the 80s roll around and the AIDS crisis begins and so everything changes because HIV starts to spread throughout the gay community but also other marginalized communities so um, the poor and it disproportionately affects people of color Um, And at the beginning, like, I think this is something that we forget here now, 30 years later, is that people refused to accept that it was happening. Um, Reagan didn't mention it until, like, tens of thousands of people had already died. Um, Mm -hmm. It was... And it took kind of, like, famous people to die until people really started to care or that it took until um you know a, a child would be accidentally infected yeah. after having a blood transfusion until people cared so yeah but then they only cared about those child that child exactly. and they vilified yeah. the gay community yes yes i did once watch a very extensive documentary on this topic once it was called like a back to the 80s and mm-hmm. i thought it was a whole documentary on the entire 80s and mm-hmm. after an hour and a half we were still on the aids crisis and i was like hmm. when are we getting to madonna and then i realized <laughs> music was the next week and this was uh, just the aids crisis yeah. so like I, I know a bit about this one mm-hmm. michael yeah mm-hmm. um and so pride like the amount of protesting that happened during this time period was like incredibly impressive. Like, and the t- variety of protest was just insane. The, um, my favorite action that they did was things called die-ins where they would bring cardboard um, gravestones and then lie down in front of them. And they do this oh. everywhere. They do it like intersections. They do it in like central park wow. all, all the way. They did it in front of the white house, like many, many times. Um, 
and it was like it's a very intense they also um even more intense brought the bodies of people who had just died to the white house oh whoa and, like, in a casket um they also spread ashes of their loved ones on the lawn of the white house so this the militancy i i don't know if militancy is the right word but the like dedication of these activists yeah. was very impressive um so act up um is like the main activist group that um, i couldn't imagine how absolutely traumatizing and yeah. frustrating it would be to have that just not recognized like yeah. oh good god um, so at that time pride events were not necessarily somber affairs, but they, like, directly addressed what was happening. So in that way, they were still a protest. Um, yeah. And so then the AIDS crisis fundamentally changes what, like, the gay community focuses on. So then you get civil rights. So all of a sudden, to be married is essential because then you can visit your spouse or your partner in a hospital then you can share health care which in the states is vitally important um a little while later you get other civil rights claims like um serving in the military with clinton's don't ask don't tell um and so pride becomes about protesting for that um people start to mark the shift in pride as like 1991 so the AIDS crisis is obviously still happening, but um, AZT, which is the drug that um, helps you live longer with HIV so it doesn't become AIDS, um, comes out and is a bit more accessible. And so in 1981 is the shift where pride becomes a party and less of a protest. And so there's clearly like political messages being yes. like, said because like in the States, gay marriage isn't legalized until 2015. Um, but this kind of like shift of pride as we know it today is seen as nineteen. Um, just before we move on, yeah. I actually read oh I listened to something super interesting on the radio a couple of weeks ago and I literally walked in the door and I had to tell my family. Mm-hmm. But apparently in Ireland the rates of um people contracting AIDS mm-hmm. is actually like going up, like it's increasing, which is Yes. Um, so this is an interesting and horrible stat. I think it's because yeah. We have distanced ourselves from the AIDS crisis to the point where yes. people aren't scared about it anymore. Yeah, people no, are not using condoms at a rate that they used to. Yeah, I, there's um, there's like a, a popular kind of like soap opera here, and a, like a, a a teenager found out that like he had HIV, and mm-hmm. they it was all very like, oh, you can just take some tablets and. Mm-hmm. It, it it felt like it wasn't given the seriousness. Yeah. I mean, I liked the idea that they weren't doing like the stigma the stigmatization of it, but mm-hmm. I thought it needed to be given a little bit more mm-hmm. like gravity to it. Yeah, and you can, yeah. Now the their rates are going up, and that yeah. is frightening and is. very very hushed up. Like that is yeah. not widely known, and I think it should be. Yeah, it's um because you can live a long and fruitful and wonderful mm. life with HIV now because of the drugs that we have. Mm. Um. And it, so that's what, it's not a death sentence anymore, no. but it's yeah, not chlamydia and you can't get no. rid of it. And this is what your life yeah, will and it, for the rest of yeah. your life. And it is, it is concerning if any sort of condition is increasing in a yeah. time when we have the knowledge and the means of disseminating that knowledge 
that that just shouldn't be the case. Yeah. But, and what I, we always have to remember is the fact that we have this knowledge is like entirely due to the efforts of the gay community. Yes. Condom use, like the proliferation of it is like their effort. And, um, the drugs that are invented now are because they continually protested for it. Um, and, and there's new drugs too. So you can take, um, prep, which is a drug you can take continuously if you think you're going to be exposed to HIV and so you won't contract it. Um, which I don't, some people don't know about, so that's really useful. Um, but yeah, so pride, like all of these really intense topics tied up into it and pride you kind of see like, like it's fun and awesome. And like, I remember going to my first Pride and just, like, watching it and being, like, incredibly emotional because, like, you're so happy and I'm just happy that people yeah. are happy and, like, able to do that. Um, but, yeah, um, so I talked almost exclusively about America just then because it is one of those things that, like, really centered in the States and, like, mm. the big history of it is. But Pride happens everywhere now. Um, so some dates, the three countries we like to talk about um, – Canada's first cross-country pride was in 1973, Ireland was in 1974, and Australia was a little bit late to the game. Um, They have Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which happened in 1978. Yeah, that's Um, like a huge deal. Um, On the the Irish pride, uh, we, our head of state, our Taoiseach, is the first openly gay um, head of mm -hmm. state that we've ever had. And I believe he's the fourth, um, only the fourth, like, openly gay head of state in the world mm-hmm. and he was actually the first uh Taoiseach to march in pride which uh was last year so that's awesome it's, yeah but it is kind of sad that it took until 2018 for a head of state to march in pride right considering it had been around since 1974 yeah but, um but then again gay marriage wasn't legalized in ireland until true so it was probably viewed as more of a political um statement then yeah, yeah that um, makes sense yeah. Uh, in other countries, pride is still very much a protest in a way that it isn't in um, yeah. the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. So Russia has had a pride protest um, since 2006. Um, it is illegal to, I think it's promote um, immoral behaviors and the Russian government considers being gay as immoral. But right. the Russian, one of the Russian courts ruled in 2012 that they can have Russian pride for a hundred years. So Russian pride still happens and it is very much a protest. Um, Another kind of famous one that happened in the last few years was Uganda in 2016. So it is um, very illegal to be gay in Uganda. Um, It's not like, so it's interesting the the laws um, criminalizing homosexuality different in Russia. It's like the promotion of materials in Uganda. It's the actual act of sodomy. Um, Right. But it, it there's the death penalty on that now. And so when they had Pride in 2016, there was a really brutal government crackdown um, and, like, massive international outpouring about human rights. And Yeah, that is awful. Yeah. So when it's important to remember that in some countries, um, Pride is still very much a protest and it's still a protest here so yeah um, that is such a thing like i hate when um you know you hear people being like oh why are they still doing these things like they're just the same as everyone else and you're like okay maybe in like 
I mean, not in this country, but maybe more so in this country, but you're forgetting that there are people around the world who are literally sentenced mm-hmm. to death for this. this. And, so every, it's, and it's it's back to the politics of being present and saying that we are here, we are proud. and Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that speaks volumes to like what is respected on the international stage and what is expected of other countries. Um, Exactly, yeah. yeah. So some contemporary issues in Pride, so what are like the kind of political things that people, when they say Pride is still a protest, other than the international stuff, um, one of the big things that um, I'm sure people have heard about is the presence of police at Pride. Yeah. Um, So especially with um, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there was the uh, section of different pride societies across North America, like most specifically, um, who uh, requested that police no longer attend pride in uniform or at all, because they argued that um, people of color feel unsafe in the presence of armed um, officers and uniformed officers, and pride is definitionely a place where you're supposed to feel safe and Mm. welcomed. and this has been incredibly divisive, and it's kind of where um, the there's this idea in the media and in like outside that one movement should be unified. And this was a moment where everyone saw that the LGBT movement is not unified, and there are like right. deep tensions within it. Right. And um, in some cases, Pride events were canceled because they couldn't come to an agreement. In other cases, they had separate Pride events, um, and it's always been a big deal. What's really interesting is, like, like middle-class, like, heterosexual Canadians, in the case of Toronto, were, like, very upset that the police were kicked out of Pride when it's, like, not their event. This was in Toronto. Um, but, yeah, so this is... Um, one of the most contentious issues within, like, the event of Pride itself. Um, The other thing that people like to talk about is the mainstreaming of Pride. Mm. One is that corporations, like, jump on that bandwagon, and if you go to a Pride parade now, most floats are sponsored by a corporation. Um, Yeah, or even, like, I was here uh, June last year, and obviously Dublin Pride is um, a big thing, and, like, all the shops would just, like, cheap probably like unethically created yeah like clothes and accessories that was just capitalizing on um yeah something that is actually like political and is kind of Mm -hmm. a big um and that just it felt a little bit wrong to Mm -hmm. me and yeah so some people one solution to this is if you like want to wear like a rainbow flag or like any sort of pride memorabilia is to find independent sellers who make them yes. who actually like uh contributing of color or um gay societies or charities yes. so many yes. um like like i'm sure like your local high school's gay straight alliance might like be selling t-shirts or like their local high school have one of those yeah, we had a gay straight alliance. Okay, we did not have one of those. We, we're a very progressive province. Yeah, you guys are. We did not have one of those. Yeah. Um, My university had one. Mm-hmm. That's something. I hope your high school gets one. Yeah, like, that'd be... Send them a letter. You you went to Catholic school, though. I did. Yeah. Mm. 
So I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah, what's yeah. Um. So yeah, that's one way to combat the corporatism of pride. The other kind of mainstream of pride um, that's been really interesting is this concept of pink washing. So pink washing is the act of latching on to pride and LGBTQ issues to make your government seem more progressive. So like a uh, mild example of this is um, like we were just talking about the head of Ireland, the Taoiseach, is that how you Yes, it? yeah. Um, or prime minister to those two don't know. Yeah. Um, he is openly gay, which is wonderful. He's also the head of a more like right-leaning party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a more like well-publicized version of this is Netanyahu, who just um, won re-election in Israel. Um, is Tel Aviv in Israel is the gay capital of the Middle East. Um, very like pro-gay and like you can order there's a million gay clubs and they have a really big pride celebration and the government like supports this and um but the thing is is that netanyahu is regardless of what you think about palestine is a very right-wing politician like right. in his social policies anyways um, um the perception of tel aviv as this gay um capital makes it like diminishes the kind of non-progressive nature of the government another example is canada um mm -hmm. so this year marks the 50th anniversary of when canada decriminalized sodomy and trudeau and the government are very excited um so they're holding all these events they're making coins like there's a commemorative coin that you can get soon um he was running around with anthony from queer Eye. yeah like he's very excited the thing is it's like we were talking about before life became in way worse for the gay community in Canada after sodomy was legalized. Right, like, okay. That's interesting. Um, so uh, to celebrate it kind of diminishes what has happened since then. It, yeah. it hasn't been 50 years of progress. It's been 50 years of struggle. So the Toronto bathhouse riots, which are this very important moment in um, Canadian history where the police raided bathhouses in Toronto. Um, that happened in 1981, um, years after mm. 1969 when it was decriminalized. Um, in more recent news, um, there was a serial killer in the Toronto gay village um, who was killing exclusively gay men for what? over a decade and wasn't caught until 2018. And they're, what? Yes. And they're doing an investigation to see if the police deliberately didn't investigate, which it looks oh, like they might not have. Holy yeah. And so when the government, like, hops on, like, Trudeau goes to Pride and he celebrates with the coins, he's, one, making him look more progressive in other areas, but two, not recognizing that the government in 1981 um, was when his father was in government. Oh. Um, like, they're not recognizing that there's still a huge way to go, and there's still, like, clear problems. Um, yeah. A serial killer, for one. That's the freaking yeah. problem. This, they, uh, there was a piece in Vanity Fair about it, because, um, like, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, that needs to be like a, a podcast or something. The word needs to get out about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when we talk about 
the politics of pride, it's important to think about the history of it, but also Absolutely. how politicians are interacting with pride and what that says about their policies, but also what that, what are they hiding? And or what are you not thinking about when you see Justin Trudeau waving while he's walking down um, the street at a pride parade? Um, or any politician for that matter. Alrighty then. So on to the pop culture segment of the podcast. And today I am going to be talking about a song that has been dominating the charts, not just this month, but for quite a while actually. And that is Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Mm-hmm. And Audrey, she's just like attacked my laptop there. Um, so... She loves Old Town Road. Yeah, I'm going to take my dog to the Old Town Road. Um, so, what are your thoughts on this song, Mike? Are you a fan? I am neutral. I don't neutral. care. Yes. Well, you might care more by the end of this because I came to care a lot more by the when I was doing this research. So, I guess we're going to go back to the beginning. And I'm going to answer the first question that I think should come up when we're talking about this song. And that is, who the heck is Lil Nas X? Because I think this time last year or even six months ago, people wouldn't have known about this Mm -hmm. guy. So basically, he is a 20-year-old rapper from Atlanta, Georgia. His real name is Montero Hill. And he started making music just last summer while on what he was hoping to be a permanent break from college. He kind of wanted to drop out. so he was staying up late, making some music, and here we are today. We have Old Town Road. What the heck is Old Town Road is what you might be wondering if you've been living under a rock. <laughs> Basically, it is not rock, but it is a country rap song that Lil Nas released independently last December, actually. Um, so it samples a Nine Inch Nails track, and the funny thing is, is that Lil Nas actually found this from another teenager in the Netherlands who um, had like was using this and put it on a site and basically Lil Nas bought the rights of it for $30. So yeah, so that kid in the Netherlands got kind of screwed. But (laughs) no, I think he's on the, you can actually hear his almost like watermark kind of thing. You know how um, DJ Khaled has that another one. Well, There's a little bit in Old Town Row where if you listen close, so you can hear like Keo, and that is the kid in the Netherlands. <laughs> so he's got some exposure. He's on the writing credits, and I think he's been getting like a lot of other offers coming in since then. So that's good. Okay. Um, but okay. So at the moment, it doesn't sound that exciting, and you're probably wondering why the heck have I been hearing so much about this song and hearing it on the radio so often since last December? The short answer is. Lil Nas found himself in a perfect storm. The long answer is a couple different reasons. So number one, Lil Nas was actually kind of internet famous before all this began, um, which I had no clue about, but he is allegedly the person behind at Nas Mirage, which is a viral meme account on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And this account had like a six figure following before it got suspended. It was one of those ones that, used to kind of like take those kind of 
tweets that everyone was saying yeah. and like the memes and just repost them um it was once like featured on buzzfeed because he had posted a picture of a dog and was like it's my dog's birthday and no other dogs came to the party and then it went kind of viral and people were like oh my dog would have come and then buzzfeed got involved and then he had to tell buzzfeed that there was no dog and the picture was just off the internet nice. so Yes, it was also a Nicki Minaj stan account, which is where the name of it kind of comes mm-hmm. from. But actually, Lil Nas has like denied ever like owning this account, though there is some like fairly convincing Reddit sleuthing into this. Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned before, allegedly the person behind this account. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought this was like actually super interesting because obviously, like, there are internet famous people, like influencers who are just famous for being themselves online you know like someone you probably follow them on youtube micah who will just mm-hmm. vlog their life and talk about different products and that becomes their career but it's interesting how there's we're seeing people from like anonymous meme focused like not even always original content accounts being able to parlay their followings into careers mm-hmm. um like in the american meme on netflix um that focused a lot on josh ashrovsky who is also known as the fat jewish on instagram and he has like a whole like enormous like pop culture kind of business i think he even has like a range of like alcohol he does like collabs with like paris hilton and that all stems from like an almost like anonymous meme account that is just posting funny things off twitter Mm -hmm. so i just thought that was like super interesting right that we're seeing that happen so that i think contributed to the song success a lot but what also contributed to the song success is that lil nas was able to tap into that like viral internet humor he was really part of it and he told rolling stone he said of the song as he was writing it he was thinking I got to make it short. I got to make it catchy. I got to have quotable lines that people want to use as captions, especially with the horses in the back line. I was like, this is something people are going to say every day. So already he was kind of, yeah, yeah, right. Already he was thinking about what's going to look good on Instagram. What can people, you know, make funny Mm -hmm. tweets about? And I think that is so clever. So yes, firstly, his internet fame or alleged internet fame really contributed in those two ways but also we have an app called tiktok which i might be like old but i had like never heard of this mm-hmm. had you heard of this i knew it was the new vine but it's yes, not for people vine, our age no i don't think so i think the new vine is a good way of um explaining it so basically it is an app where people can make um short funny videos and it has kind of its own I guess, like, sense of humor on there, kind of like how Vine did as well. Yeah. Um, and there was a thing called the Yeehaw Challenge. And basically, right before it goes, I got the horses in the back, the, the people in the videos would transform from being someone into, from someone wearing, like, regular clothes into mm-hmm. a cowboy or a car girl, a cowgirl. And that was that's essentially it um, so the song was used for that that meme challenge and kind of kicked off from there and again that feeds into another point which is 
the emergence of what people are calling the Yeehaw agenda. So in September last year, uh, Brie Melandro deemed, so she's like a kind of like a pop culture commenter. She deemed Sierra's appearance on the cover of um, King Kong in a cowboy hat as evidence of what she called the Yeehaw agenda. And she started collecting like Instagrams, um, images for on Instagram uh, at the Yeehaw agenda. And she actually filed like a trademark application for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's this idea of like the, the black cowboy. And, you know, once that had a name, it was able to gather steam i mean obviously like there's pictures of beyonce wearing a cowboy hat in like 20 years ago kind of thing Um, once you know it had a name now and it just seemed to be hitting at the right cultural point and i think the song really depends which way you look at it it either pioneered it or it really fit into that movement really well and Mm -hmm. so i think this idea of like either pioneering or fitting into a cultural movement is so important and interesting because if we think about, you know, things like the boy bands of the nineties or like Britpop or garage rock revival or the British indie scene, those music moments ended up influencing the broader culture so much. Um, you know, it was the characters we watched on TV or the clothes that we all wear were actually all like influenced from the music that was important at the time. So I think having this song be the anthem of that is super interesting. And I think it really is shaping culture at the moment. Mm-hmm. Another reason you may have heard about this song is the Billboard controversy. Had you heard about this, Micah? Yes. Yes. So this made kind of waves. Basically, it started because Lil Nas added the song originally um, as a country song. He had tagged it as a country song and it made mm-hmm. its way onto the Billboard charts as that. Now, as I said before, like kind of like what he was doing with the the lyrics being geared towards um this like millennially Gen Z Z audience. Yeah. Some are calling this a, a bit of a clever marketing idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of gaming the system because you can gain better traction and, you know, gain the al- algorithm a bit more on the country charts than you could on like the rap or hip hop charts, but also like it's a, it's a country song. So yeah. I can see why it was on there as well. But, you know, I'm saying it's a country song. Billboard did not think it was a country song. They Uh did not think that it incorporated enough of the elements of a country song Uh to be considered one. So they pulled it. And that drew a lot of criticism because people were saying that that was because he was non-white and country is probably one of the whitest genres of music. Um, and it isn't the first time that we've seen this happen. Like in 2016, Beyonce's song Daddy Lessons failed to be considered a country song by the Recording Academy, even though it literally features the Dixie Chicks. Um, Weird. Yes. Yes. But yet, and I don't mean this as a, like a criticism on these artists. I just mean to use them as an example. But yet, like almost anything 
even to today by Casey Musgraves and Taylor Swift is considered country, you know, mm-hmm. when I would argue that anything Taylor Swift has released in the past seven years has is less country than Old Town Road. So yeah, anything past speak now. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, I still think that there are things that Taylor Swift is, you know, releasing recently that should be considered country. But if they're considered country, then Old Town Road should definitely be. That's mm-hmm. just my hot take on this. Um, so yeah, people were pretty pretty upset about this, and then. Um, yeah, in light of the criticism, Billboard did say that the decision to remove Old Town Road um, did have nothing to do with Lil Nas X's race. He said that he just wanted to see it on both charts because it is a country and a rap song, in his opinion. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of thinking, wait, if it was pulled by the charts, why am I hearing about it? It's kind of because like all this discussion worked in its favor, really. Um the song now has more than 238 million streams on Spotify. It is number one all over the world. Um, fun fact, it is actually one of the shortest songs that's, that's ever been, um, that's ever like topped the charts. It is, the original version is a minute and 53 seconds. Um, so it's the fifth shortest number one single in the history of the Billboard Hot 100 and the shortest since 1965. So mm. there you go. Now, what I really think is interesting is the idea of remixes. So kind of like, you know how there was Desposito and then there was like the Justin Bieber version of Desposito and they were both kind of out at the same time, but like arguably the Justin Bieber version was bigger than the original one. Yes. I would say we're in a similar sort of situation here Mm -hmm. with the Billy Ray Cyrus version of Old Town Road. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? Do you think that one's catching up to the original? I can't tell them apart. I have no idea which one's which. (laughs) Well, Billy Ray Cyrus has like a verse later on in the Billy Ray Cyrus version. Um, And yeah, that actually has some interesting origins because two days after posting the initial snippet of Old Town Road back in December, Mm -hmm. Lil Nas X um, tweeted a follow-up plea of Twitter, please help me get Billy Ray Cyrus on this. So he was keen for Billy Ray from the beginning. And Billy Ray, I think, was a little bit inspired by the whole uh, Billboard controversy and felt like he really wanted to help Lil Nas out. He actually had said he didn't know why Lil Nas wanted him on the track because he thought it was perfect already. Um, um, yes, and he is... She just looked at the microphone and shook really loud. Audrey everyone, really loud. you've been blessed by Audrey licking the microphone. Gosh, Audrey, you're not invited back in next month. Uh, no. <laughs> she actually gave Mike a sad little look as he did that. Um, yes, so Billy Ray Cyrus is very, very nice about uh, Little Nas X. One of his quotes is, I think Little Nas is a hero who came along when the world needed a hero. At a time when we're so divided, he's a light in the universe. Oh, Billy Ray. Billy, mm. Billy Ray. What a man. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, Billy Ray is, again, such a clever choice because yeah. he has that, like, cross-generational appeal, right? Like, he does. I mean, my, like, parents love Achy Breaky Heart and then I love Hannah Montana. So, mm-hmm. 
it's perfect. Um, and then we got a a proper music video because uh, the video that had been on YouTube for the original was like just some stills from Red Dead Redemption. Um, so yeah, the Old Town Road remix with Billy Ray Cyrus got its music video earlier this week maybe yeah and it is amazing it is super super cinematic it starts as like an old western movie and then Lil Nas is transported to 2019 um so it is it's so much fun and it's got a lot of celeb cameos in it it's obviously got Billy Ray Cyrus but uh Chris Rock is in it Diplo is in it Vince Staples Micah's friend is in it as well (laughs) um so I would 100% 100% recommend checking out that video because it is a joy. I will say though, it's only the second best video for this song because Northwest, yes, <laughs> Kim Kardashian and Kanye West's five, six year old daughter mm-hmm. made her own video for it. So and it is the cutest thing. You've seen it, have you? I haven't. I need to. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to just do like a little bit of a shot by shot um, conversation of it. Basically, it starts off with like a like a like a wanted poster, mm-hmm. um, like an old western wanted poster, and then when we have that almost like the banjo sound kicking in at the beginning, um, she has Kim Kardashian holding a little ukulele wearing a Jessie the cowgirl hat walking along, and then the rest of it is just northwest jamming with lots of like strange myspace kind of effects on the camera and she's wearing like a little jesse the cowgirl from toy story outfit and then wearing like a little white shirt that she's like written in marker like old town road on it and i just thought it was like the cutest thing because obviously it's shot in like their incredible mansion and Obviously, she's incredibly rich, but I kind of thought it was pretty cute that, like, she was wearing a little Jessie outfit that's probably from Target and, like, she mm-hmm. made her own Old Town Road t-shirt. I mean, next thing we'll hear, she'll be on stage, like, singing it with Lil Nas. But for now, yeah, for now, I just felt like she was, like, a regular little kid loving a song, and it was adorable. So get on Instagram and watch that absolute joy. So... That is kind of my history of Old Town Road. Micah, do you find you're a little bit more interested in it now? I just want to see the Northwest video. There we go. That's, that's, all, that's all I came here to do, really. <laughs> um, basically, you know, whatever your personal feelings are about Old Town Road, because some people love it, some people really hate it, um, it's got a super interesting story about it that I think a lot of people don't know about. I personally think that it shows the power of youth culture on the internet. Um, it shows the power of being part of or pioneer of a movement. So I guess hitting things at the right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And I guess also the power of controversy, you know, yeah. of and of handling it well. Um, it also brought up like a really interesting discussion of genre and you know, the more serious implications of that and how, you know, music genre and race are interconnected there. So also it's really freaking fun. And there's like a splash of star power (laughs) now that we have people like Billy Ray Cyrus and Chris Rock in videos for it. So um, more power to Old Town Road. I actually think Lil Nas has like a collaboration with Wrangler now because Wrangler is mentioned in the song. So I think we're going to see this this go go far i think we we have not seen the end of old town road (laughs) 
Alrighty then. So that is the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. That can be our new our new catch a call. Yes, Michael. I'll pop that at the beginning of the episode. Yes. I don't think I could repeat that again. You're going to have to pop that because that was just a very nuanced pronunciation. Um, anyway, what are you up to over the next month, Micah? Uh, just, just hanging out. Enjoying hey, life. Man. Enjoying the summer. Nice. Yeah. I will be seeing the Strokes. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I'm seeing the Strokes. Um, Who are you seeing again? The Strokes! Okay, so I'm seeing the Strokes. And then possibly... Well, definitely by the next time. So I will have seen the Strokes, and then I'm going to see um, Fleetwood Mac. Potentially, nice. I might have seen the Killers again by the time we're at next in discussion. So there could be a lot of musical updates. Um, nice, very dated musical updates as these are all as these are transpiring. But that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be my next month. Um, if you want to follow my strokes updates, I am on Instagram as at Yasmin Lomax, also on Twitter like that. Micah, where can the kids find you? Um, at Miss Clearwater on Instagram. It took you a minute. I know, I was thinking. I haven't been using the gram a lot lately. I've mm-hmm. kind of taken like a mental break from it. And it's, to be honest, dummy world of wonders, but I'm still going to recommend that y'all follow our podcast Instagram, which is at DTCBS podcast. So mm-hmm. get on it. Anyway, until next time. Bye. bye. bye.